Well, good morning. That's better. Uh, take out your connection card, please. And uh, as we uh, prepare to uh, hear from God's Word, I want to just take a minute and make a couple announcements. Uh, first of all, if you would uh, please take a minute and fill out the connection card. This would be, if you are a uh, guest with us, this is a great way for us to uh, welcome you here to the church. And uh, anyone can feel free to request some more information on the back side of this card to leave us a prayer request or a praise report. We would definitely uh, keep those in our prayers. And uh, simply leave that uh, on the pew behind you after the service, and the ushers will come around and pick that, those up. One uh, announcement I want to highlight, I'll do this first because I don't want to forget it. It's not on the back of the program. In two weeks from today, we're going to have a special congregational meeting, and uh, it's a pastor search update, and so it'll be immediately after our service. It's not going to be a very long meeting. We just want to keep you up to date with where, where, where we are at in the process, and so probably about 12 o'clock, a little bit after the service uh, ends, but because it's a short meeting, we'll plan on just uh, uh, having our lunch afterwards. So let's say like 12 o'clock to 12.15 or something like that. Um, also, in terms of announcements, uh, West Coast Showcase auditions are today. So if you are planning on being in the showcase, it is, uh, uh, it is important that you audition today. This is an, an audition is not for us to tell you you're not good enough. In fact, we're begging people to be a part of it. So, uh, so the audition is to help Tina to be able to organize the service together uh, and, uh, and also just to, to um, see what kind of acts that we are able to have for the showcase. So that's today. The gathering for the College Young Adults are, is uh, this afternoon, 1.30. And uh, New Horizons Bible Study starts back up this Tuesday. And uh, Thanksgiving Choir Rehearsal is starting in, uh, in um, couple, uh, less than a couple weeks. So we have uh, several announcements. I would invite you to read through those and to uh, make note of those that uh, uh, apply to you. And, uh, and uh, those are printed on the back of your program. This time of year, kids are starting to go back to school, right? So I'm sure several of you uh, who are school age have started back into school. Uh, Dawson, our, our six-year-old, he started school this, this week, started on Thursday, and I uh, started kindergarten this week. And uh, that, to be honest, doesn't quite seem possible uh, because it doesn't seem that he is old enough to start school. I remember when he was just a little kid. And uh, I'd hold him very gently, and then I'd swing him all around. But, uh, but, you know, you hold that little baby in your arms, and there's something pretty precious about that. And though it's a cliche, as they say, these, uh, it goes by too fast. Kids grow up too fast. And when Dawson was first born, someone told me, you're going to spend the first two years of his life teaching him to walk and talk. And then you're going to spend the next 18 years of his life trying to get him to sit down and shut up. And uh, I don't know if this person was a prophet, uh, but that has definitely uh, proven to be the case. And, uh, and, but when we think of kids, there, ha- there can be kind of two extremes, right? At first, there's this desire to help them learn to walk and talk. And then 
And then, and, and there's a total dependency there, right? They can't do anything on their own. You don't expect them to. They're a baby. This is what they do. They, they need something and they cry and they scream. And you don't get mad at them. This is their way of telling you, you know, that they need something. They need food. Uh, they need their diaper change. They, whatever it is. And then we, we could say on the opposite end of that spectrum, the other extreme would be if one end is total dependency, the opposite end would be total independency. And you can begin to get in your picture these minds of a person as they get old, older and they kind of want to spread their wings and test their independency. Sometimes that's not a, such a pretty experience. And uh, you can get the picture of like the rebellious teenager, right? And so there are these two uh, extremes. Both of them are, both of them are necessary. You got the, the whiny baby on the one end and kind of the rebellious kid on the other, uh, on the other end. Both, uh, but both of them are necessary in their core in the sense that one is needy. In the, and, it's, and it's good for a person to learn their independence. But they are not always necessarily pretty or uh, fun to go through at the time. But this morning I want to talk about just if these are two extremes, is there such a thing as kind of the, the middle ground? A stage where whether the person is young or the person is older, where there's a stage of just kind of contentment. And I bring that up because I do think there, there is, not only in the relationship between a child and a parent, but also we're going to use this as an analogy to uh, think about our relationship with God. But just this idea of the analogy of a child and a, and a parent, I thought of two examples from my own life. First of all, as a parent, I can think of times where our youngest is Kinsey. She's uh, a little over a year and a half, and our oldest is Dawson. He's six. And there's been times where you're sitting there, and they're not trying to squirm away, or they're not trying to get something from you. And those of you who are uh, parents can relate. Like, that is a precious feeling. It's a wonderful feeling to have the little uh, child just sitting in your lap. If, they're, if they are content to be there. And it gives you your own sense of peace and contentment. And so that's one example of contentment that I think of as a parent. And then the second example of contentment I think of as an adult child, so to speak, now of my own parents. And I can remember a day, this was probably uh, late in my years of, of being a, in college, I remember thinking, you know what, I think I have a different relationship with my parents now than I did a few years ago. And that was, that was a good feeling to sense that even though there was still, you know, there was still my mom and dad, there's still that respect and honor there, but almost a feeling that it's a friendship, that there is a mutual respect and, and we can have an, a, a conversation about adult things and, you know, them not telling me what I should believe, but being a, me to be able to express my own feeling. And so, if we have on one end total dependency and on the other end total independency, this morning I want to talk about that meaningful relationship. Because that is where real contentment is found. And so we're going to talk about that meaningful relationship in relation to our Heavenly Father and what that would look like. As Christians, it is a wonderful feeling to grow up in our relationship with God. 
just as it is a wonderful feeling to hold a little uh, a child who is content to be in your lap. And it's a wonderful feeling to have a, 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 an adult relationship, a, almost a friendship with one's parents. It is a wonderful feeling to grow up, to have a deep, meaningful relationship with God. We're going to look at uh, this look at this idea in Psalm 131. It's one of our songs of ascent in this series. In fact, this is the shortest of all the songs of all the psalms that we will look at. But the, but there is great meaning here and I hope that this comes across that as we talk about this, our hearts would be drawn into just this attractiveness of having a deep, meaningful relationship with God, that we would desire this more and more, to be led by Him, to be taught by Him, and to be blessed by Him. Ultimately, to find contentment simply in His presence. So let's look at this psalm together. Psalm 131. By way of introduction, it says, A Song of Ascents of David. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. For I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I have weaned my, I I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let me take a moment and pray for us. Father God, as we look at this psalm together, uh, first of all, I just, I just want to pray for myself that you would drive these words into my own heart that I would find myself to be able to be calm and quiet in your presence and to be content as we uh, are before you. And I pray for that for all of us. That God, you would plant this seed of contentment in, my, in our hearts and God, help it to be attractive. God, help us to have within our hearts such a desire to live that deep, meaningful relationship with you. Because God, I do think that this is, a, this is not only a wonderful feeling, this is a great place to be, where we have you in first place, and that we uh, live a relationship that is with you, that is calm and quiet, that we are content to have you in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I think this uh, psalm presents a beautiful picture of what our relationship with Christ can look like. Two times in this passage does it mention this idea of being like a weaned child. Whenever you have in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, one of the main ways that the uh, Old Testament uh, poets wrote their poetry is if they wanted to give emphasis to something, they would repeat it. And that's what we have here. We have this idea of the weaned child being repeated two times. And so it's a clue that this, is, that this uh, points us to the core message within this passage. And that is this idea of being like a weaned child with its mother. And then it fleshes it out even clearer. Like a weaned child, I am content. And so as we think about this passage, this idea of having a meaningful relationship with God, it is the idea that we have this relationship with him, that we are content, not just in what God can provide, or not just in uh, the direction that he can give us in our lives, but we are content with God himself. And so that's where we're going in the third stage. 
But before we get there, let's talk about these first two stages. When I say stage, I don't necessarily mean that there is a set uh, period of time with any of these things. Though I think in some way all of us go through all three of these uh, stages. I mean, the, especially when we talk about the first stage and the second stage. But for some of, the, for some of us, the, these stages may be a very long period of time. And some of us, it may be a very short period of time. The time doesn't really matter. The point is, will we fix our eyes on the idea of being a contented child of God and pursue that no matter where we are at? So, when we think about a person's physical growth, everyone starts as a baby, obviously, right? We all start as a little baby. And uh, when we think about spiritual growth, that there is, this is where we start as well. Jesus described the spiritual life beginning with a new birth, that we are born again. Again, right there is the idea of us being born as babies. And so this is the total dependency stage, the stage number one. And we might accurately call this a whiny baby. Okay, a whiny baby. Now, I don't mean that to be uh, something bad. Whiny babies are a good thing. I love babies, and so I love whiny babies. There's no other kind of baby but a whiny baby. Uh, Babies have to whine and cry. That's how they communicate to us. Uh, It'd be kind of strange if the little baby looks up at his mom and says, Mother, I think I'm hungry now. Can I have some of those mashed peas? Or, Mom... Do you think you could change my diaper? I had a bowel movement. You know, we don't expect that. The only way we expect them is to cry. And this is how they tell us that they need something. And and so this is a good thing. And what they are saying is, help me. Take care of me. Give me this or that. This this is uh, how babies are communicating uh, with us. And so we don't hold it against them. Neither does God... Hold it against us that this is where we start. We all start with a sense of neediness. When we become Christians, it is out of a sense that we need something from God. We need salvation. We need eternal life. We need the forgiveness of sins. And so we cry out to God, God, give me, help me, take care of me. Again, this is not a bad thing. This is actually a very good place to start. Uh, and, and I have noticed that as uh, baby Christians, they will begin to grow in this state. As they cry out to God, God, I'll be honest, I think sometimes uh, God answers baby Christians, their prayers more specifically and more uh, just the way that the person asks them to pray, or uh, the, the way they prayed, the requests that they gave to God. God will answer those in amazing ways sometimes. Maybe more so than when a person becomes older in their faith. And I think the reason is because God is teaching them to trust him. When little babies are crying out to God, they are learning a lesson. Or when little babies are crying out to their mom and dad, or dad, they are learning a lesson. Can I trust this person? Am I going to die of starvation? I know I just ate three, three hours ago. But can I, can I believe that my needs are going to be taken care of and are going to be met? And God answers our prayers in this way, especially with newborn Christians. And so the Heavenly Father doesn't look upon us with disdain when we cry out to him in this way. In fact, I think he looks upon us with the type of tender love that a mom or dad has towards their child. I remember when Dawson first went to preschool, he learned a song. 
Some of you may know this song. It's an old song. He said, uh, he said, I am a promise. I am a possibility. I am a promise with a capital P. I am a great big bundle of potentiality. And he's saying that, and, I, and my heart just gets all overwhelmed with emotion. And I think, wow, because that's the truth. This little child has so much potential. And I think God looks upon us, and we cry out to him. And, uh, and what we are, and, and, a, and, a, and a baby Christian is looking to God for what can be received. And like I said, that's a great place for us to start. And we never lose that dependence upon God. But as we grow in our relationship with God, we'll go even beyond just looking to God for what he can give us. As we grow in our faith, we, we will be challenged to, re- to uh, love God and to look to him, not just for the gifts he can give us, but for God himself. So Paul challenged his readers to grow up in similar ways. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. And so Paul challenges his, uh, his hearers to move on to solid food. And a, and a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So the idea here is that we grow up in our faith, that we move on to more solid food, and that solid food is the character of God, that God God in our lives. And so the first point of application, the first question of application I want to ask us today is, are we content? Or do, uh, with God himself, or are we simply looking for the things that God can provide us? Do we get awfully cranky and, uh, and we whine a lot when God doesn't give us exactly uh, the things that we ask? Are we still in stage one, like a, like a whiny baby? Stage two swings to the very opposite end. If stage one is total dependency, stage two is total independency. We might characterize this stage by talking about a rebellious runaway. A rebellious runaway. Some people uh, have run away from home, right? Uh, I, don't, I, I won't ask for a, ra- a show of hands, but there's been some of us that have gone through that rebellious stage. Now, you might not have physically ran away from home, but emotionally you said to your parents, forget you, I'll figure this out on our, my own. I already know better than you do. And this, I'm sure, is a very frustrating thing uh, for a parent to go through, but uh, kids sometimes go through this stage. I ran away from home when I was younger. Now, I'm not talking about teenage years. I'm talking like seven years old. I ran away actually several times. Uh, I would, I remember uh, at a young age, I would get out a backpack. I'd put clothes in it and maybe a little bit of food, and I'd start walking. And uh, now, keep in mind, I lived in the country, so I'm not going to meet anybody for a long ways. But uh, I'm thinking the whole time, boy, mom and dad are going to regret that they punished me this last time. (laughs) 
They're going to miss me so much. And then I'm in the country and I think, what if a raccoon jumps out and attacks me and I have to go to the hospital? I'm not actually scared of the raccoon. I'm thinking, my parents are really going to be sad then if they have to come and visit me in the hospital, sit by my bed. And so here I'm running away. And I actually called up my parents this week as I was thinking about this sermon. I said, you remember when I used to run away all the time? Uh, And they said, yeah, kind of. I said, how come you never came after me? I remember I walked like a whole mile one time. Now, I, can know, I know this because in the country, you know, your mile markers are your gravel roads. I walked like a whole mile. They never came. And they said, well, we weren't too worried about it. We knew you'd come home eventually. And that's what happened, you know. Bow your head in humility and turn around and walk home. And, uh, and when we think about the rebellious runaway... In terms of spiritually speaking, that's motivated out of a sense of pride as well. We look at this passage, and this is where the psalmist starts. He talks about his heart not being proud, his eyes not being haughty, not concerning himself with great matters or things too wonderful. In other words, not concerning himself with things beyond his control, outside of his own knowledge. And so spiritually speaking, we can tell God, forget you, I'll figure things out on my own. And the bottom line of that kind of statement is this idea of pride. The rebellious runaway pridefully wants to be the center of his or her own life. And so we tell God, you know what, enough of you, I'll, do thing, I'll figure things out on my own. And we go our own way. Rebellious runaways can be mad at God and maybe want to get away from God's rules. Or maybe we just run away from God because we want to, quote, unquote, have fun. We want to have a good time. Franklin Graham is the son of the most famous preacher in, uh, uh, in American history, of Billy Graham. And Franklin Graham uh, was, uh, uh, using the words here uh, that we're using this morning, he was a rebellious runaway. In fact, he wrote a book he, that has the title, Rebel with a Cause. Talking, thinking back on how he rebelled against the, way that, the ways that he was brought up. But in his book, he describes how he didn't consciously, he wasn't trying to consciously get away from God. In fact, he, just want, he says he just wanted to have a good time, and it didn't seem that God could be a part of that. It reminds me of Jesus' powerful story about the rebellious runaway in the parable of the prodigal son. Father has two sons, right? The, el- the, the, the younger of the two sons comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance early so I can go off and live life to the full, have a good time. So his father gives him the money and he goes off and in no time flat he squanders it away on wild living. All kinds of friends gather around him when he's got, all, when he's got the money, but when the money dries up, his friends abandon him and, and, uh, and he's broken. He finds himself in the lowest possible job uh, he could imagine, feeding these dirty pigs in their pig pen. Now keep in mind that this, is, that this was originally given to a Jewish audience who pigs were considered unclean, like these filthy animals. This is the bottom of the barrel. And so this younger son, this, this uh, rebellious runaway, finally his pride, is bro- his pride is broken, and he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to just say, God, just please forgive me. Can I be, a, can I be a, the lowest servant, the lowest slave in your, 
uh, on your farm. And so he makes his way back to his home. And the Bible says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And it's a beautiful picture of what, our, of, the, of what our relationship with the Heavenly Father is like when we come back to Him. This warm embrace. God wrapping His arms around us and receiving us into His presence. Rembrandt, the famous Renaissance uh, painter, uh, sought to pr- portray this scene of the embrace of the Father and the Son in a painting. And when you look at this painting, I don't know how well you can see it, but I look at this and... Do you sense in the Father's uh, gaze this idea of peace and satisfaction simply to have his son back with him? Is there a sense of comfort and contentment as the son buries his face in the Father's chest? I don't know what you see in the painting, but when I consider this... Uh, I need to quit quit backing up, I'm sorry. Uh, When I consider this uh, story that Jesus told, there is a sense of spiritual peace and comfort and contentment there. That a child was lost and is found. A father was broken hearted and uh, celebrates the return of his son. The father didn't care about the lost money. He was just content to have his father back. And it reminds me of what is stated here in this psalm. Uh, Psalm 131, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child. This idea that we find contentment in God's loving presence. That we can bury our face in his chest. And it's a picture of trusting him and receiving his love. As I reviewed the parable of the prodigal son in preparation for this sermon this morning, I noticed, you know what? There's actually another son in this passage, the older son. And if the younger son is the rebellious runaway, the older son, I actually think, is the whiny baby. Even though he's uh, the older one, we see in in this passage, uh, as the father is throwing his son Uh, this banquet, he's out back like a whiny baby throwing a temper tantrum. How come you never give me a party? How come you never do this? I've been here this whole time, and yet I don't ever receive anything from you. And so 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 both the runaway, the rebellious runaway, and the whiny baby, both the younger son and the older son, are completely self-centered. What can I get? Why can I go out and live my own life with God having nothing to do with me? Can I receive from uh, from uh, Can I receive from my Father these blessings, even though I've never done anything wrong? And so we have these two perspectives of self-centeredness, and it moves us to the third stage, which is a stage of putting God at the center of what we might call a meaningful relationship. And so we would call this uh, relationship the contented child of God. This is ultimately what this psalm is all about, being content in our relationship with God. And so if the whiny baby says, God, give me, help me, take care of me, the rebellious runaway says, forget you, God, I'll figure things out on my own. The contented child of God says, I love you, God, not just for what you can give me, but because of who you are. And so I just want to pause now as we think about this. 
Do we really long for God? Not just for what he can give us. And not just for the direction he can give us in our lives. Though those things are very good and valuable. I'm not minimizing those things. I long for those things without a doubt. But do we truly love God just for God and his own sake? Do we really love God? If God were to take all of these other things away, and all we had left was God and him alone, would we be satisfied? That is where the true meaningful, the depth of our relationship with God, where there is real contentment and real satisfaction. Charles Spurgeon preached on this, uh, on this text, and in his sermon he said, To the weaned child, his mother is comfort, though she has denied him comfort. It is a blessed mark of growth out of spiritual infancy when we can forego the joys which once appeared to be essential and find our solace in him who denies them to us. Sometimes God can, it seems that he is denying us what we long for so much, a desire, a dream, a sense of security, a sense of identity, something we find our identity in. And, uh, and it seems that God is denying us those things. And it is not an easy process, but it is a weaning process. God is take, uh, taking our desires off of those things so that there will be more room to fix our minds and our hearts directly on him and him alone. The weaning process is never fun. The baby cries out for his mom's milk with such anxiety. God, uh, or, I mean, uh, mom, just give me what I want here. And he thinks he wants it so bad. And we cry out to God with that same kind of passion. But the mom denies the baby the milk when it's time to deny the baby the milk because that's what's best for the baby. And God sometimes denies us things because that's what's best for us. And so I think of real hardships in life, things that are really difficult. I think of single people who long to be married, and God hasn't granted them that request. I think of married couples, uh, couples that would love to start a family, and they pray, God, would you give us a child? And they're not blessed with a baby boy or a baby girl to bring home. I think of a person that longs for his mom or or, uh, her dad to be healed of some uh, disease uh, that is maybe threatening their life. And they cry out to God and somehow in God's wisdom, he chooses not to answer the request just as they pray. You think of a person who's lost a job or who's having financial problems and we could make a real long list and we wonder, God, what are you up to? But I wonder is if in the midst of all of that, it is the weaning process to say all of these things, they may be good and, and may be a blessing, but they're not the essential. All of these things we, we take and receive from the Lord, all of his blessings, but we remember that these things are secondary con- uh, compared to the primary, which is God himself. Some of the most contented people that I have ever known in my life are, are people that have very little in terms of worldly possessions. And I think of some of the, the strongest people around the world today, strong, strongest Christians, and I think many of them probably have very little uh, in terms of what we would consider real blessings from God. And yet there is a deep sense of contentment. 
And so it is not that we receive the, that we refuse the good gifts of God. It's that we you know, come before God and we say, God, your uh, blessings are greater than anything we could ever hope. Uh, your presence are, is greater than any of the gifts that you could give. A contented Christian finds comfort simply in the presence of God. Psalm 131 is one of my favorite psalms, and that is because I can think back on several times in my life where uh, this psalm has come to mind through difficulty. In fact, most of the time uh, when I think of this, Chelsea has brought up this psalm. This is one of her favorite uh, psalms. And so I can think of times where there's been difficulty in ministry, especially probably at my previous church. There was some really hard days for us. Uh, for Chelsea and, and myself. And I can think of times where there was maybe uh, health concerns with our kids, or maybe when finances were tough. And there was times where Chelsea would say, uh, would remind me of just uh, of this psalm and say, you know what? And I, know, and I knew what she was referring to. Let's calm and quiet ourselves before the Lord like a weaned child. And I, I remember, you know what? Let's put our hope in God. Let's rest in his presence because God in and of himself, he is good enough. Julian of Norwich wrote, lived several centuries ago, but her words are, uh, have great meaning to us uh, today. God, of your goodness, give me yourself. You are enough for me and anything less that I could ask for would not do you full honor. But if I ask for anything that is less, I always lack something. But in you alone, I have everything. I've got this quote in my, uh, hanging up in my office at home. And this is my prayer. God, may in you alone, I have everything. If I ask for anything else, I'm asking for something less. May you be enough for me. It's like the, Jer- it's like the prophet Jeremiah says, as for me, I am in your hands. Do with me whatever you think is good and right. When we think of this idea of resting in the presence of God, I can't help but thinking of of the children that crawled up on Jesus' lap. And remember the disciples, they tried to tell uh, uh, the children, you know what, Jesus doesn't have time for you. Uh, Don't uh, don't bother him anymore. And Jesus, uh, and for example, in Mark chapter uh, 10, I'll read this. uh, It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for, for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God as one of these little ones will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. Jesus gives the picture of the child as a model of Christian faith, not because of the child's helplessness, but because of the child's willingness to be led and taught and blessed. Because of the willingness of the child to simply be in his presence. And this is true for us as contented children of God. That, we, that may we be willing to be led and blessed, be led and taught and blessed by God. I mentioned Charles Spurgeon's sermon, and let me, uh, let me mention one other line from that sermon. Spurgeon said, Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms uh, to learn. And I think this is a hard psalm to learn. 
As I said, this is one of my favorite psalms, uh, but it is one of those psalms that, ever, that I know I am still in the process of seeking to, uh, uh, of seeking to learn. But if any psalm I, uh, I think embodies the type of life I want to live, it is this psalm. A few years ago, someone challenged me with this little exercise. He gave me, uh, he said, imagine a blank tombstone. When you die, what do you want to be written on that tombstone? Now, this is not meant to be a morbid exercise, but it's meant to help us to think, what do we really want our lives to all be about? So I couldn't think of a good answer right at first, but, then all, but one day I was, I was uh, walking and praying, and this is the statement that came to my mind, and I hold on to this statement. In fact, I pray that God would help me be like this every morning. The statement was, I am a quiet lover of Jesus with a gentle heart towards all people. That's really what I want my life to be all about. That I am a quiet lover of Jesus with a gentle heart towards all people. And I think that is a great summary of Psalm 131. That we would quiet ourselves, calm ourselves before God's presence. That we would be a quiet lover of Jesus that we would put away pride, that we would not concern ourselves with things that are too great for us, but simply have a gentle heart towards all people. And when I think about that and that for my own life, it gives me real hope. And I hope that as we think about this for all of our, for all of our lives, that we would think of this and we would have hope because we know that when God is at the center of our lives, then that ultimately is where we are able to find contentment That is where we are able to live the life, the best life that God has for us. And so in light of that, in light of the idea of hope, I want to close with verse 3 of Psalm 131. We haven't really talked about verse 3, so let me read it uh, once more. And it says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. And so it's addressed to Israel, and I'm going to address it to us as a church. And And I would invite you to receive this. West Covina Christian Church member, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, as we think about this uh, psalm of being the contented child of God, we never grow out out of that idea of being your child. But when we do think about uh, being a child, we can fall into all kinds, we can fall into one of these three stages at any point. In fact, I'm sure we go back and forth. But God, I pray that you would help us to grow up in our faith. God, as we pursue after you with all of our hearts, I pray that you would fill our hearts with a greater and greater sense of contentment. And I know that that is found most richly when we fix our hearts and our minds on you and you alone. Not even on the things that you can provide, but on who you are. And so, God, I pray that even this morning, as individuals and as a church body, God, I pray that you would help us, humble us and help us to fix our eyes on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.